Good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. Um, you guys sounded like a choir there. It was great. I was sitting in the front row, and uh, wow, great worship. Thank you for participating in worship this morning. Welcome if you're listening to our podcast. Uh, we have an increasing number of listeners to our podcast. So glad that you have joined us um, wherever you are today. Now, um, some of you um, are not paper people, and some of you are given those notes, and you stick them in your Bible, and they stay there for six months, and you never look at them. For you, um, we have a new thing on our website where you can actually download the notes and uh, you can receive those online. All the blanks are filled in, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, also, last week we launched a new app and you can get those notes on our app. You can download that here. We even have a, uh, a guest uh, network access here that you can uh, get on and join. Uh, with your um, device or your tablet or whatever, and uh, we want to encourage you to participate that way uh, with notes and that sort of thing uh, this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer before we dive into God's Word? God, we're just so thankful for who you are and what you've done. God, as we just sang, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, God, and the whole basis of what we're going to be discussing today is your holiness. And God, we stand in awe of your presence. God, I pray for those who walked in here today and they are wrought with distraction. They have relationships that have gone awry. They have struggles in their finances. They're worried about their health. They're concerned about the future. Father God, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give each of us peace this morning. Peace so we can hear from you. Holy Spirit, guide us into truth and wisdom and understanding as we continue to unpack this whole idea of heaven and today, hell, God. And God, I pray that you would reveal to us your plan. And Father God, I pray for those who may have walked in here today and they are skeptical, they're searching, and God, they just don't know what would happen to them if they die. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pierce their hearts this morning. And we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Last summer, June to be exact, um, my family and I, we went to Atlanta, Georgia. Now, if you know me, um, that's not an unusual thing um, during the summer. Cynthia can attest. Um, we go to Atlanta at least once during the summer. Cynthia's family lives in the Atlanta area. Um, I grew up in Atlanta. I'm, you know, an Atlanta brave through and through. Atlanta Falcons. I even know that, you know, uh, starting our uh, 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 camp is next week. It starts next week. So like, like I know everything about Atlanta. And when we go to Atlanta, um, you can ask Cynthia, I kind of am large and in charge. Like I know what's happening. I know where to go. I know what to do. So last June we were there and um, we weren't there for just any reason. We were there for several reasons. Um, one is, is that we were um, purchasing a lot of the uh, different things, a lot of the cabinets and that sort of thing for our facility. Some of those things that you see in Island Kids and some of these tables here in the cafe, we were there for that reason. And that's a story for another time, how that went. 
Um, we were there um, because we were dropping our kids off at grandparents for a week. Yay! Anyway, and coming back to Hilton Head. Um, and we were also there to celebrate 17 years of being married. And um, so we had uh, a little time down in Atlanta that we had a couple nights um, that we had booked a hotel, and we were going to go to some of our favorite restaurants in downtown Atlanta. Well, this was really cool. Cynthia's sister, Christy, who lives in the area, she gave us her convertible Jaguar to use while we're in Atlanta. Now, I'm a Ford F-150 guy, okay? So, like, this was cool for me to be able to, like, drive in downtown Atlanta in a convertible. And so we had the top down the whole time. It wouldn't have mattered if it was 70 degrees or 110 we would have had the top down because we were so excited to be driving around Atlanta in this convertible. And so we had a blast doing that. I've lived in Atlanta for most of my life as a kid growing up. My first job, some of you are going to laugh at this, my first job um, in high school, once I learned how to drive, was delivering flowers to hospitals. And so I knew Atlanta. I knew downtown. I was, I'm never afraid to go downtown. I love downtown. I lived in New York City. So downtown Atlanta, piece of cake, right? So anyway, so it was the last day, and we um, decided, actually, no, I decided, that we would not have a plan for driving through downtown Atlanta, heading back south to her parents' house to kind of go back and, and drop the Jag convertible off and get back in the pickup truck. And so um, I said to Cynthia, I said, hey, listen, let's just not have a plan. Let's just go there and just make it up as we go and figure out our way downtown. And so we drove through Buckhead. It was probably the first time I ever felt comfortable in Buckhead, which is a posh area of Atlanta. Drove through Midtown. I'm like, I got a convertible. I'm good. This is all great. And we drove through downtown Atlanta, and I wanted to go see the Georgia Dome where my Falcons play. So we drove right past the Georgia Dome. There it is. I'm like, this is awesome. And I'm thinking, we're just going to figure this out. Now, by this time, it was dusk getting dark. And I realized about 10 minutes after we passed the Georgia Dome, I have no idea where I am right now. I have no clue. I grew up in Atlanta. I didn't know where I was. And all of a sudden, people were starting to follow this convertible Jaguar as we drove through downtown Atlanta. And I kind of started getting that feeling like, maybe this wasn't a good idea to be doing this. You know, and I'm trying to be all tough because I'm a city guy and I know Atlanta. And we drove. And the, the funny thing is, is when you're in situations like that, you know what you do? You just drive faster, don't you? So now I'm driving way over the speed limit. I'm breaking several Atlanta laws, I'm sure, driving to kind of get to a place that I recognize. And it took about 15 minutes to figure out that, oh, that's where we go to get on the interstate. And so for a brief 10 or 15 minutes there, um, it was a little stressful on our nice, delightful anniversary weekend between the two of us. And it was a little stressful for me because I didn't know where I was. And I realized something as I thought about that time. We ended up going somewhere where we never intended to be. We ended up, because I didn't want to plan, because I wanted to have fun in this convertible, and because I knew Atlanta, I knew the way home, we ended up being in a place that we never intended to be in. Statistics show that less than 0.01% of people believe that they are going to hell when they die. 
There is such a small fraction of people that truly believe that they're actually going to hell when they die. I'm surprised it's not 0%. But there's such a small amount of people. But my guess is that for all of those millions of people, the other percent, the nearly 100% that believe they're going to somewhere other than hell when they die, my concern, my fear, my, my passion is, is that they're going somewhere that they don't intend to be. That they're just banking on the fact that it's all going to work out when they die. And my fear for maybe even some of you who walked in these doors this morning is that you don't have this completely right in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. Today we kind of pause in our six-week uh, series on heaven. And I felt compelled in this series to have a day, have a morning where we pause and take a look at the other place and take a look at hell. I mean, if you're doing a series called Heaven Demystified, I think it begs the question that you talk a little bit about hell. Now, parents, don't worry. It's going to be relatively PG rated today. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail because the purpose of today, even though we will talk about some of the detail of hell, is not to talk about it specifically in those terms, but I want us to consider our myth. We've taken a look at several different myths one, the first myth is, is that heaven was a real place. And we determined according to scripture that yes, heaven is a real place. That myth was proven. Last week, we, the myth was is that good people go to heaven. And we determined that last week that that myth is busted. Today, I want us to consider the myth, conversely, that bad people go to hell. It's one of the common myths about heaven and hell, isn't it? It's intuitive. It's logical. It's socially acceptable, right? Good people go to heaven and bad people go to, you can say it, I know it's church, you can say it in this context, bad people go to hell. Okay, thank you, our student pastor yelled it out. Thanks, Cody. <laughs> Leave it to our student pastor. <laughs> That's our common understanding of heaven and hell. I'll tell you, it's not easy for pastors to preach on hell in this day and age. There's a tremendous amount of spiritual warfare that goes along with preaching and teaching on hell and Satan and demons and that kind of thing. We don't like doing it. But if we're called to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ occasionally, we have to speak on hell. We have to talk about the other place that we don't want to consider. You know, there's a day and age when you couldn't go to a church and not hear about hell. Some of you know this. Some of you probably grew up with this. A pastor that would teach hellfire and brimstone. And every time that you would go to church, you would hear about hell. And I got to pause for a moment. And we may not like that style. I may not even like that style. That may not be my style. But you know what? There's something that I admire about those men. You know why? Because they're passionate about teaching people that there's a way to heaven, and there's a way out of hell. Like a parent would scream at a child if they're about ready to cross a busy street at just the wrong time. And so there's something that I admire, even though that's not my preference. My preference would be that I teach about heaven and hell, about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and about how to get there, to not scare people into making a, a decision, but to teach what God's word says and allow the Holy Spirit to draw you to himself.
And so for many of you today, that's my prayer, is, is that the Holy Spirit would draw you as we teach. Take a look at your notes this morning as we consider this today. I want us to walk through kind of a progression. And the first thing that I want to do right out of the gates is we consider this myth that bad people go to hell. The first thing that I want to do right out of the gates is describe a little bit about hell. Again, I'm not going to go into detail because that's not the point, but I do think that it's critical for, critical for us to understand what the Bible says about hell. Hell, as I've mentioned, as time has gone on in our modern age, the popularity of teaching or preaching about hell has gone down. And there are several different extremes. There's the extreme of someone who never teaches about it. And then there's the extreme that we just talked about, about someone who that's all they do. Every single message they talk about hell and how to escape it. Well, a, a few years ago, a, a man by the name of Rob Bell wrote a book. Now, Rob was a pastor in Michigan, one of my favorite pastors at the time. And he was great, but he wrote this book called Love Wins. And in it, essentially what he says is he says that hell is not a real place. Now, he doesn't come right out and say it, but essentially what he says is hell is what you make of it in your mind. And essentially in saying that, he's saying that it's not a real place. And that caused Rob a lot of problems, including losing his pastorate, including losing a lot of people who listen to him, because that is a cornerstone of our faith, and it's our first point this morning. Hell is a real physical place. We described it in week one that heaven is likewise not something that's just made up in your mind. It's not something that's in your subconscious when you die. It's not something that's just out there in the clouds. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. It's something that is very real. And likewise, hell is also very real according to Scripture. The Bible says several things. First of all, it's a place of fire, destruction, and shame. It's a place of fire, destruction, and shame. Jesus, you know, it's interesting. If you look at Jesus' teaching, he actually taught a lot more about hell than he did about heaven. He taught a lot more about hell than he ever did heaven. Take a look at what he says here in Mark 9, 44 through 49, or for, excuse me, 40, uh, uh, Mark 2, 42 through 49. Take a look at this passage. Jesus actually taught more about heaven than hell, and this is one of the passages that he speaks of. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, what does Jesus say? Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to, than go to, uh, to, go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes than be, to be thrown in hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And I'm sorry, that's Mark 9, not 2. It's Mark 9. Your notes say 2. It's Mark 9. Jesus was using a metaphor here. I want you to hear this very clearly. He was using a metaphor in terms of sin when he was giving this teaching. He was essentially saying not to cut your hand off if you do sin. He wasn't saying to cut your foot off if you, if you do sin. He wasn't saying to pluck your eye out if you do sin. What he's saying here is go as far away from that thing that causes you to sin as you possibly 
can. And so he was speaking metaphorically about sin. But I want you to hear this this morning. Jesus was not speaking in metaphors about heaven here. He was speaking very plainly, very clearly, and essentially what he's saying by speaking about hell in such direct terms is that hell is a real place. It's a place of unquenchable fire. It's a place of unquenchable torment and destruction. And that word shame he uses, it's a shameful, shameful place. Look at what he says in Matthew 25, verse 41. He says, Then he, God, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is a very real place. Paul describes hell in Thessalonians, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. He says that they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. We described heaven a few weeks ago, and we said the fact that the golden streets and the gates that are made of pearl, and the fact that these walls are the most beautiful jewels that you could ever imagine, and that it's this most beautiful, gigantic, enormous city is going to be something that's amazing. But we also ended it by saying the fact is, is that the best part of heaven is that Jesus is there. That's going to be the best part of heaven. We'll talk about that next week and we talk about what we do in heaven. The best part of heaven is Jesus is there. The worst part of hell is the fact that he's not, that he's not there. You'll be, we'll be dealing with fire and hell and brimstone and all kind of torment, but Jesus isn't in hell. The second thing that Jesus speaks of is that hell is everlasting. He alluded to this, and Paul mentioned it, but Jesus specifically mentions it in Matthew 25, verse 46, when he says, and these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, anywhere you see death in the New Testament, that is speaking of eternal death in hell. Anytime you see life, it's speaking of eternal life in heaven. And I want you to hear something. Not only is hell a very real place, but hell is an eternal place. It is everlasting. Jesus wants to make sure that we understand that the decision not to trust in him means a decision to experience hell for eternity. There was a 14th century poet and statesman, many of you studied him in high school or college, Dante. And Dante wrote a three-series poem called Dante's uh, uh, The Divine Comedy. And the first portion of the Divine Comedy is Dante's Inferno. And he writes a poem about him in hell as he sees it. Now, Dante's theology is pretty bad. But there's one thing that Dante speaks of in this Dante's Inferno that I think he had generally, not specifically, but generally correct, and it's this. Even though hell is a real, eternal place, I believe that the Bible says and refers to, and this is the third point, it refers to specific places in hell that are designed as punishment for different sins committed on earth. Many of you have heard the phrase, or many of you have maybe said the phrase a time or two, there's a special place in hell for so-and-so for doing the deed that they did. And I don't like that kind of flippant attitude towards hell, but you know what? 
The Bible speaks of this in Revelation 20. Take a look at verses 12 and 13. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had what? Done. According to what they had done. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. I think that we can understand from Scripture that there are different places for different sins and different deeds. I think that's clear from the vision that God gave John that he recorded there in Revelation 20. But I want you to hear this. Putting that aside for a moment, why would you ever risk that your life was just good enough to maybe experience a lesser part of hell. It's all going to be bad. It's all going to be awful. It's all going to be torment. It's all going to be fire and hell and brimstone. And why would you ever risk thinking that your life wasn't bad enough to deserve the, wor- to deserve the worst place in hell? It's a real physical place. It's an eternal place. Yes, there may be different levels. Dante described them as the nine different circles. I don't believe that. That's nowhere in Scripture. But I do think that there are different levels. But why, oh why, oh why, would we ever surmise that our life was good enough to maybe get to one of those higher places in hell? It's still going to be awful. It's still going to be awful. Lastly, under this point, Purgatory and the ability to pray a person out of hell are assumptions that are not found in Scripture. Purgatory and the ability to pray a person out of hell are assumptions that are not found in the Bible. Dante goes on in the second part of his trilogy to describe a place that the church for years, for centuries, has called purgatory. But I want you to hear this. And this comes not just from Catholicism, but it comes from different parts of Protestantism, unfortunately, that we have the idea that there is purgatory. Purgatory is never mentioned in Scripture. And even those that acknowledge purgatory or they think that purgatory is real would admit to you that it's never mentioned in Scripture. It's something that man made up. And then in the 14th century, 13th and 14th century, Dante contributed to Purgatory and the ability to pray a person out of hell are assumptions that are not found in the Bible. Why do I mention that as that last point under what hell is about? Number one, I think that we need to understand that there's a terrible misconception about hell and about purgatory. But I think number two is, and I want you to hear this very clearly, this life that you're living, that I'm living, that we are living together, this is the time to make a choice for heaven or hell. Once this life is over, there's no other chance. Are you with me this morning? This is your opportunity. This is my opportunity. Hell is a very real place. But who deserves hell and why? Let's take a look at these next few points. First, the Bible says that we all deserve the punishment of hell. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? I mean, you came in, you know, you're hoping for a good message of hope and future, and hey, I can go to the beach today and be happy, and I'm giving you hell. That's terrible. Okay. (laughs) Point number two, we all deserve the punishment of hell. We all deserve the punishment of hell. It's easy for me to say. 
it's easy for me to say, but why is it true according to God's word? Why is that true according to God's word? We've got to start with the fact that God hates sin. Number one, God hates sin. We just sang about the holiness of God, and we sang about giving him glory and giving him praise and giving him honor and worshiping the almighty God. And that's the whole point, is that he is so good, he is so holy, that he can't even, the Bible says, look on sin. He hates sin. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans 1, and I'm going to give you a progression of Paul's different writings to the church at Rome. He says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God hates sin. Some of you are out there and based on your upbringing or based on maybe what you've experienced in life that may be painful, you believe that God hates you. I want you to hear this. Here's the hopeful part of this message. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. He loves you. He hates sin. Do you see the distinction? Are you with me that that's different? He doesn't hate you. He loves you. He hates sin. And I want you to hear this morning that it is a good thing that God hates sin. If it were the case, we would have no battle between good and evil. If it weren't the case, if God didn't hate sin, there'd be no cause for him sending Jesus to redeem us from our sins. If he didn't hate sin, then we wouldn't have good because there must be evil. We wouldn't have holiness because we wouldn't have sin. We wouldn't have heaven because there would be no hell. You see, to have a hope, there must be despair. God hates sin, and it's not for judgment that he hates it. It's because to the very nature of God is so good and so holy, he hates sin. Secondly, everyone has sinned, so we all deserve hell. Everyone has sinned, so we all deserve hell. Romans 3.23, Paul says this. This is kind of the second point in the progression. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what the important word there is in Romans 3.23? All. I heard you say it. All. You all have sinned. We all have sinned. Humanity has all sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God it's all that's the most important concept there. Paul used a Greek word to describe sin. It was harmartano. Harmartano. Harmartano literally meant missing the mark. He was describing sin, and in describing sin, he would have given his readers or, or hearers a picture of an archer with a bow and arrow. And the archer pulls back on the bow, and the arrow's in his hand, and he shoots it, and the arrow misses the target. That's harmartano. We have missed the mark because of our sin. We have missed the mark that God has. We all have sinned, each one of us. But what of hell? Why from the Bible are those who are sinful and not redeemed 
who haven't put, in their, tr- put their trust in Jesus Christ. Why are they banished to hell? It's the third part of the progression, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, Paul writes. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what we do when we read this verse? We skip to the last part, don't we? Because we like free stuff. <laughs> You're lying if you don't. <laughs> we like gifts, don't we? And we certainly like the idea of eternal life. And we skip to the second part of that, and we, we miss the first part that says, for the wages of sin is death. The result of sin, the result of us missing the mark, is eternal death. That's what Paul is saying. God hates sin. We all have sin. And because of it, we all deserve death. We all deserve hell, which leads me to my third point. People who do not trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to pay the penalty for their sin will go to hell when they die. People who do not trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to pay the penalty for their sin will go to hell when they die. Most of you know John 3.16, but not too many of you probably know by heart John 3.18. I want you to take a look at it. John says this, whoever believes in him, speaking of Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. But here's the difficult part for us as humans, and especially those of you who have been Christians for a long time. Here's the hard part. We struggle with this concept because we want to think that there are certain sins that should banish someone to hell and certain sins that shouldn't. So we become the judge of what we think is wrong and right. And what we do, please don't miss this, what we do when we become the judge of those sins is we take away, Christ follower, the power of salvation. Do you understand? We take away the power of salvation when we become the judge of what we think sends people to hell and what we think sends people to heaven. We take away the power of salvation. You see, Jesus' death on the cross, it nullifies the argument. We'll talk about what good deeds and what bad deeds do in terms of heaven and hell in a few weeks. I promise we'll get to that. But in terms of entrance into heaven or entrance into hell, Jesus took good and bad deeds off the table. He nullified the argument altogether. Take a look at the fourth point. People who do trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to pay the penalty for their sins will go to heaven regardless of bad behavior on earth. As much as we don't want to think about it, the worst person that you could picture in your mind for all of the bad deeds that they have done in life, if they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, if they put their trust in Him, they will be in heaven. That's the free gift. That's the redemptive part. You see, it's not based on anything that we do or don't do. Entrance into heaven isn't based on anything that we do or don't do. The most pertinent, pertinent example, the, most, um, uh, the best example of this in all of Scripture 
is a criminal that was hanging on the cross when Jesus was crucified. Many of you know this story. We're going to take a look at it in closing today. It's recorded in Luke 23, and the Dr. Luke records this. And I want to read verses 33 through 43. And I want to discuss this criminal that was hanging on the cross next to Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, your Bible might say thieves. I'll talk about that in a moment. One on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they, know, they don't know what they are doing. And they cast lots, lot to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal, this is what I want you to hear, rebuked the first criminal saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we, the criminal is saying, you and me, we're, just, we're indeed justly condemned, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man, Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, truly, I say to, do, say to you, today you will be with me, where? In paradise, another word for heaven. Your version may say thieves. I tend to think that these two men who hung on the cross next to Jesus, we don't know, but I tend to think that they weren't just simple robbers. Uh, you know, they didn't take someone's donkey, I don't think. Or, you know, they didn't steal some cash that somebody had in a pack somewhere. I believe that these men were criminals, and they were criminals to the point that whatever they did wrong, they were being crucified. Jesus was essentially being crucified because they thought he was treasonous. Perhaps these thieves, I like to call them criminals, stole something of a state secret from the Jews or from Rome, and that's why they were being crucified. Perhaps what they stole was life from someone. Maybe they were murderers. We don't know. But the interesting point, and, and the point that really relates to us today, is the fact that this one criminal who, who looked at Jesus and said, please take me with you today. The point is, is that he recognized his sin. He admitted it. He said that he was being justly served. And in a moment, in just a moment, that one who hung on the cross next to Jesus, in his own way, in maybe his own mindset, in his spirit, he decided that he was going to trust in Jesus. And Jesus' response was, today, you'll be with me in paradise. You know, we can get everything in life right. But if we get this wrong, we'll spend eternity in hell. We can get all of life 
absolutely right. We can have great careers, perfect families, <laughs> the right kind of cars, the right kind of homes. We can get everything right, but if we get this wrong, if we get this one thing wrong, we'll spend eternity in hell. Jesus' free gift was eternal life with him in heaven. It's our key thought. Our eternal destination, heaven or hell, is not based on anything that we can do to earn it or not earn it. It is 100% based on what Jesus did for us on the cross. And some of you are here today, and maybe you've been skeptical, maybe you've been searching, maybe you haven't understood this, or maybe you've been churched for a long time and you've heard all the wrong news. My challenge, my appeal to you today is if you have never, in your own simple way, placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, just like that criminal did in an instant, you can also end up going to heaven just like he did, and you'll avoid going to hell. Maybe you haven't put much thought into where you're going. Maybe after today's message, you're a little more fearful about ending up somewhere that you hadn't planned to go. I have really good news for you. All it takes is just one step of trust and faith in Jesus. So why, why, why would you chance going to the hell that I just described why wouldn't you instead put your trust, just like that criminal did on the cross, in Jesus and know for sure that you're going to heaven? Our myth is busted. Bad people can go to heaven if they trust in Jesus Christ. I hope if you're in here today and you've been skeptical, I would hope that you would make the decision to do that same thing. Would you pray with me? If you're in here today and you've been skeptical, you've been searching, maybe you've been even antagonistic towards God and Jesus, but something that you read, something that God said to you just in the quietness of your heart, maybe it clicked today, just like it did with that criminal that hung there on the cross. So here in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you, I'm going to appeal to you to just silently in your heart and in your mind pray this prayer, repeat it after me, not out loud, but in the quietness of your heart to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, to put what little trust you may have in Him. So I want to invite you right now to pray this prayer if you've never prayed it before. It goes something like this. God, thank you for making me. And God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Today, I admit that I'm a sinner. And today, I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Today, I put my trust in you for heaven. If you prayed that prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you if you prayed that prayer. Amen. I see you. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you in the back. Thank you. 
others here today. Pray that prayer. Father God, the angels are rejoicing in heaven right now because many people in this room decided today that they would put their faith and their trust in you. And God, they have the hope of heaven in their future with you there. God, I pray that you would anchor their faith, that you would help them in this newfound journey. And God, we just thank you and we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for what you are preparing for us, a place that there's no more tears, there's no more shame, there's no more sorrow, there's no mourning, and we can wrap up in your arms and we can be held by the Savior. We give you praise and honor and glory for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.